We are here together to do this one word called worship. We gather to celebrate the fact that God has called each of us. We understand the, the glory of grace. We understand the adoption, the blessings, the, the, the work that God does on our behalf in invisible ways. We're here to worship him and, and to say that we've come to know Christ even through a mirror dimly, but that which we know is wonderful and we're increasing our knowledge of him <clears throat> and how he loves us. A lot of people don't know how to worship. A lot of people don't know the worth behind the worship and therefore they don't worship. But our job is to know him and to make him known. And so as we do that, I think about what I said last week where as we venture into the hearts of people, and I want you to understand that God wants to use you to help make him known in your relationships. I mentioned last week how those friends of Job didn't come in to touch their hearts, but they came in and they became a, a kind of a, an irritant to Job when he's really suffering. He needed to hear a word from God. He didn't hear a word from God. He heard words from a kind of a cynical, condemning friend, Job, you need to repent. They weren't good. They didn't know how to enter into the hearts of others. And, and yet, I mentioned last week that, that when God wants to do something on earth, for heaven's sake, he will use individuals. We know that. John 1 was John the Baptist. I said there was a man sent from God named John. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness of the light uh, so that through him all might believe. Today we're going to do a similar, a similar theme where we see that there's a man named Ananias and a man named Paul. Uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was Ananias, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through Ananias, through Ananias, Paul would come to believe. And you can say the same for Paul. There was a man sent from God who later on, whose name was changed from Saul to Paul, and uh, he was a witness to testify according to that light, so that through Paul, others would come to believe. And now, likewise, you have a chance to put your name in there. There was a man or woman sent from God whose name was Joetta. And through Joetta, others around Joetta would understand that she was going to be a witness to testify concerning that light, that through Joetta, others would come to believe. That's what we were talking about, venturing into the hearts of other people. <clears throat> and so the question is, how do you help people come to know Christ? That's the theme of our, of our Sunday school and that we're doing. Kim, Kim Gardner's doing the one on pursuit of God, which we're developing a heart for God, and we're doing this, <clears throat> the balance of developing a heart for people in the Sunday school classes. So if you're not in the Sunday school classes, you're really missing out on a rich, rich banquet. <clears throat> but let me share with you this proverb, <clears throat> Persian proverb. <clears throat> this is a good one. You should memorize this. You use it, I use it sometimes. He who knows not and knows not that he knows not is a fool. 
shun him. He who knows not and knows he knows not is a child. Teach him. He who knows and knows not that he knows is asleep. Wake him up. And he who knows and knows that he knows is a wise man. Follow him. That's a good little, <clears throat> good little word. So as you move into people, you understand that the Spirit of God is going to bring you into people who are at a wide um, distance from the kingdom, and they need different people to come along at different stages at different times. And <clears throat> as you come in to bear witness to the light, what you have and what you say depends upon what you see and what you know. David said it this way, for with you, God, is a fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Oh, these five little colored bars, we went over that deeply in Sunday school class, but the second bar is the bar of revelation. That that bar of revelation is you understand how God sees the cosmos and sees people in the cosmos. If you understand that God discloses and manifests his understanding, that in his light we really see exactly the way God sees the whole universe, you and me in it. But how God sees things and how we see things are different. But here it is, uh, in your light we see light. And that light uh, in, the, in, the, in the Jewish literature is called the Shekinah glory. Heard the word Shekinah before? It's a word, it's a, it's a religious word, it's a, it's a foreign word, it's a word that we don't use. Uh, I would talk about the Shekinah of Mark Hazelbush, but that wouldn't fit, would it? Well, maybe. It depends on what you understand the words mean. And so I want to talk about words in a minute because this is a book that I read well, a couple years ago, 25 years ago, and it's really caught me. It's written by Jean Aitchison, and, and she's a linguist, and you know I like words, because words are kind of like sweaters. Uh, words are playthings that, that you can pull and stretch, and whatever purpose you have, it will fit and cover anything you put on it. But words are fun, and last week I mentioned that words are powerful, and the words that you use are powerful because death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.1. Great verse. The other one is like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word that you speak. It could be just right in the right circumstance. Well, you need to know what your words mean. And Aitchison would say, words have a particular meaning. For example, if I use a word to describe this thing, what is this? It's a vase. Well, you have an idea of what a vase is, and a vase is for flowers. And a rose is a rose. By any other name, it's still a rose. So I'll put the. Now, this is what you understand when you think about a vase and a rose. You have a definition, you have the description. Now, 
This is a vase with a rose, right? How about this? What is this? This was the, the drink that my birthday juice came in. You guys made that punch and put it in here. And so is it a vase? Well, is it a vase or a jar? If I put, if I put the rose in the vase, now is this a vase? <laughs> if I put the juice, if I put the juice in the vase, words words are flexible. Words are flexible. Well, that's the important thing is that you understand the power of the meaning of the word and how you use it. The word Shekinah means dwelling or settling and denotes the dwelling or the settling of the divine presence in a relational way. It means the glory of the Lord surrounded. It means the presence of God is near. And when you see that Shekinah glory, that glory, the brilliance of Christ, and the, the tabernacle of God, well, that's what we were talking about when you think about God's Son coming into the world. And here are your five distinctives again. I hope you guys got these memorized. I can't show you. That we are, we are a church to be Christ-centered. We're not just a church. We don't want to be just a church. We don't want to be just a vase. We don't want to be just a jar. We don't want to be just a church. We are a Christ-centered church, meaning that we have a love affair going on with the Lord. And, and, and the church as the bride of Christ, we, we have an affection for him. And knowing that God has revealed his heart, he's revealed his word, his, 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 his whole meaning of the salvation, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but the idea that God is doing something invisibly, we don't see it, we don't feel it, but the work of the gospel is at work going on right now to restore people to heal people, to bring growth and change in the inside. And that all takes place through relationships. Now, I mentioned some of these words last week. Uh, I mentioned last week that we use words to categorize people. I want to underline this again, only because you just take this for granted. We, we, we use words in ways that kind of interfere with our relationships. When we tag people, we're not venturing into the world. We're trying to compartmentalize and, and uh, put them in boxes. If I say first grader, if I see a first grader, I've used the word first grade to designate a, a category of a stage of development. But I say, she's a first grader. Instead of saying, uh, I see a little girl on her first day of school. Ah! <laughs> I see a little girl. Same way if I use a word like criminal or prisoner or drug addict. If I, if I use different words, if I use the word criminal, it takes a while to get there. Uh, if, I say, if I say police officer, I don't see a man who spends his time during the day as a, a law enforcement officer. I define him by the social roles he plays. I don't see him as a man. But do I use this word for this man? 
and all of a sudden there's confusion if I see a police officer that's a drug user. I don't see the man, I see a drug user. And these tags, we don't understand the story behind the words. And so if you understand what's, what's an atheist, it's a man or a woman. It's not the tag. It's the man or the woman who at this point in their life holds on to this conception about life. But we don't understand uh, that the, the, there are stories going on in this life that this, police, this man who's a police officer, this man who's a drug user, also became a man who was cleaned by, by having intervention and he's now off drugs. Well, this is the story that you don't ever hear when you just use the word, words, drug, criminal, felon, whatever. But as you move into as you move into uh, understanding these words and people, what you have to understand is to see people the way God sees people and the way we think about people, the way God thinks about people, we have to hear this word that the truest thing about you is what God says about you. God sees in you what you can't see in yourself. And you may not be able to see in other people what God sees. Well, that's the backdrop to understand the story about Ananias and Paul. How does Ananias see Paul? What words come to mind when he's talking to the Christians of the church? Ananias is talking about this persecutor or this man who's a persecutor. Is he a terrorist? Is he, is he an enemy? And you hear the words being set up already in, in the minds of, of, as we've tagged Paul, this raging rabbi who's out to destroy, who's angry, and every time you move into this <clears throat> world, you use words to think about and put him in a box. And, but we wouldn't see Paul the way God sees Paul. So when God sees Paul, does God, see Paul, does God see Paul as an enemy, as a murderer, as a brother, as the Lord's instrument? And you see how all these words shape the way we have these relationships because as Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so he relates to other people. If you are shy, and nobody here is shy, if you are shy and you think I'm shy, you act shy. If you are fearful and think you're going to get hurt, you act as though you're going to get hurt and therefore you back away and you're more cautious. As you think in your heart, so are you. As God thinks in his heart about you, so is he. But this conception of how you see people and how the words are used really has to do with this personal understanding of what's going on vertically between you and the Lord, and also it comes down horizontally how you relate to people and how you enter into your world of relationships. Well, today we've got these two guys. We're gonna look at the man, look at the man named Ananias. And by the way, uh, Ananias was a common name. You can change your name, and don't use Anna, but add the Nias to it. 
So it'll be Mark Anias, or Susan Anias, or Bob Anias, or Kim Anias. And so you, you can join in this, have fun with this. But we're going to look at the man, no matter what the name is, you can substitute the name. But who was this guy, and what can we learn from his story? We're also going to look at the man, not the apostle, the man. Uh, hang on, where'd you go? <laughs> go back to Paul. Look at Paul, and... Uh, well, we'll go to Ananias since we're here. Ananias, his name means favored of God. The Hebrew is Hananiah. He was a man who was a, a local hometown boy, apparently. He lived in Damascus. He wasn't in Jerusalem, but he was a devout man according to the law. He was a God-fearer until Christ came, and he became not just a God-fearer, law-keeping. He became a disciple changed, known in the community, he became a follower of Christ, and he was a man known in the community, as his testimony comes out later in Acts, it was established having a good report among all the Jews. He was a moral man, a righteous man, a good man. No one thought uh, that Ananias was going to be one of those persecuted ones because he was in Damascus. And those who were being persecuted were fleeing from Jerusalem. And now the movement of God is going up to Syria and and north. He's out of Jerusalem. Ananias was one of these stable guys in the the local uh, community. And they would go to Ananias. And he'd hear the report that Paul is coming to persecute. And he's on his way up. Well, now interesting Interesting about this guy, you don't ever hear anything else about Ananias, the rest of the New Testament. So a question comes to my mind is, why did God choose this layman, ordinary guy, and make him have an extraordinary touch to touch the life of Paul? Ananias that followed an apostle, wasn't one of the disciples, but he was one of the 70 that followed there at Pentecost. Uh, he, probably, he was connected with the following ministries of Christ, but, but he wasn't one of the 12. And I thought, you know, God could have used Peter. He could have used Stephen. He could have used Barnabas, but he didn't use any of these. He used this ordinary guy named Ananias, the guy you would see down at the deli. And, and, and his story was a unique story because he was used by God to touch another man named Paul. Again, <clears throat> I mentioned that he was one of the 70s. Luke talks about that in Luke 10. But the thing about Ananias is he had a relationship with God. When God spoke to him, he knew the voice of God. So he's an unusually mature man, set apart, and he has a sacred place in history, according to F.F. F. Bruce, because he has a special claim upon the gratitude of all who in one way or another have entered into the blessing that stems from the life and the work of the great apostle Paul. Paul didn't get a start without Ananias. Now that's interesting because let's go back up to Paul. If you can get me back up there, (laughs) David. Paul is another man. To look at this guy named Paul, did I change it again? There you go. Who was this guy named Paul? What's his story? 
If you understand what's going on in the heart of Paul, to venture into the heart, he has real anger. He has real contempt. He has real commitment to destroy this Christian cult. Because in his mind, he understood that this Christian cult was a threat, as Jesus was a threat, and that this young man, how old was Paul? Yes. 40, 45, 50? Younger, kind of where many of you guys are. But he hated and was out to destroy. How do you talk to this man? How do you talk to violent men? How do you talk to men who are so arrogant and are hard, stubborn, committed to oppose you? Well, this was Paul. When you think about Paul, and uh, you go into his story, which you will go into later on, we want to look at the, what we can learn from both of these men. But God called a no-name guy named Ananias to talk to a big-name guy named Paul. You likewise, you likewise will be addressing people who you may not know how God's Got what God's got in store for those folks. Okay, so let me go back to see if I can find where I am. I just lost my place. <laughs> Technology. Well, I want to go back to what, what we can learn about these two and go to the slide about the, the spiritual commitment. I can't see it on my screen, so I'm having trouble up here. And... Um, Yeah, we're, we're, in the, we're into uh, thinking about words now. And what we're going to understand in next week is understand this work, this work that God's doing through Ananias in venturing into Paul's heart with words like conversion, words like regeneration, words like salvation. But these words have meaning because if you get to the word convert, what does it mean to have conversion? What's that word mean? Well, what you're going to find in Paul's story is that there's something that when you hear the word convert, what meaning comes into your mind? And what other words, if you understand the word convert, and here's my wordsmithing going on, with version, conversion, the word, the root ver, Vert means to turn to the truth, conversion. Version, veracity, to, to subvert, to turn, a, to turn and undermine the truth. If you have an adversary, one who's against the truth. If you have words like advertisement, a publishing of the truth. If you have words like um, divert, to turn and skew, pervert, to distort the truth. All these things are conversion. It has to mean your, your relationship with truth that you will either move in light of the light of the truth or you'll move in the darkness against the truth. All those things are having to do with the idea of conversion. Now, on the Damascus Road, Paul has a, quote, conversion experience. What's that mean? Is he saved? Is that the point at conversion? Do you get saved? 
is he redeemed at that point? What happens in conversion? We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But at the point now, what you have with Paul, Paul sees Jesus. And I can't see my screen, so we're going to go by this. You can play. But what you find is Paul confronting, a Jesus confronting Jesus, a Jesus confronting Paul on the way to Damascus. And Paul did not hear the gospel presented. The way God worked in his story was a direct confrontation. He didn't say, would you believe in me? He didn't say, I'm the Messiah, you need to follow me. He didn't say, um, the Romans road, he didn't have four spiritual laws. Paul simply sh- uh, saw Christ. And as Paul saw Christ and Paul heard Christ, Paul had an encounter with Christ that began the conversion that the Spirit of God was doing the work. And then to confirm that work, he brought in a man named Ananias. Now, if you're Ananias, and the words in your mind were persecutor, terrorist, how would you be feeling right now if you were Ananias? Ananias, come. I want you to go, and I want you to talk to... I've got a man who's really a friend of mine that I want you to... Okay, friend. Uh, I've got this guy who really needs your help. Oh, I'll be glad to, Jesus. And I, you know, this guy really can't see much. He doesn't know much. He's kind of a fool, and he needs your help. Uh, great. He's the terrorist of the town, Ananias. And so the way that Ananias had to move was to shift his focus from the words that he would normally hear And when he walked in to touch Paul, he used this one word, brother. It changed his whole relationship. And so as Paul walked into that relationship, he touched touched Ananias, thank you. He touched Ananias, uh, Ananias Paul, when the scales fell from his eyes, Paul, had a man who ventured into the terror of his own heart to introduce him to the Holy Spirit. And when Ananias touched Paul, the, the conversion, the regeneration, and the filling of the Spirit all took place in this story. Well, Ananias is such an unusual man. Because living in Damascus, what you also find out about this man, Ananias, is that he was, and you never hear anything else about him, except for the Catholic uh, literature that says later on, uh, Ananias was martyred in Eleutheropolis. How do you say this? Eleutheropolis. I tried that once. And that's located in Armenia. Well, how many know where Armenia is? But there in Armenia is a church dedicated to Ananias. The chapel of Ananias at Serp Zorovar Church in Yerevan. Isn't that meaningful? No. (laughs) But these churches are monuments to a quiet man who lived in Armenia. To help you understand why this is important, is it's, again, you're out of Jerusalem. You're you're out of Jerusalem, and you're in uh, close to the Ukraine. Now, that's been in the news. So you see Ukraine up there on the left, and you see where this is Turkey. But what I want you to see is this. 
Look where Damascus is. Down here by Lebanon, somewhere later on in his life, Ananias became a missionary and left his hometown and lived and died in a foreign land. There's a lot more to this story than you understand. Well, when Paul, Paul met this spirit, spiritually mature missionary named Ananias and changed his whole role from persecutor to pastor. For Paul, there was only one way to know Christ. He didn't know Christ crucified. He didn't know Christ in the teaching. He only knew Christ as the resurrected one. And therefore, this man, Paul, was used by God to write all the books in the New Testament, or 13 books in the New Testament. And they have 16 of the 28 chapters in Acts. In other words, there was no ordinary touch. When Ananias moved into this relationship, God used this man through Ananias to bring Paul to Christ. What can we learn from these two guys? This was the chart I wanted you to see. That any spiritual commitment and any kind of fruitfulness that any of you or I would enjoy becomes directly proportional to your personal knowledge and your conviction of who Jesus is. And if you, the more you know about Christ and the more faithful you are to understand and experience how God uses you in relationships, what you find happening is you find it in Paul, you find it in Ananias, you find it in Stephen, you find it in Barnabas, you find it in the disciples, you find it in everyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Confidence, courage, and compassion. That's what God does when you walk in the light as he is in the light. When you turn and you change and you're converted and you're regenerated and you're then filled with the Spirit of God and you're maturing in Christ, boy, as Paul said, things change. Everything changes. And you become a different person. As Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old passes away. Behold, all things become new. Well, we're going to look at that that process of conversion next week. What takes place in the human heart when a Christian begins to speak the word of God to an unbeliever? What takes place in the human heart for a fool who doesn't know anything about the kingdom when the spirit of God comes into the fool and brings him into the kingdom? Wow. The joy of ministry, the joy of friendships is watching people grow. And as they grow, they turn away. They convert from sin and to the truth. That word verily, there it is. Very, ver, verdict. Truly, truly. If it's verily good, it's truly good. And so to taste the goodness of God, to see the light of God, you end up, and this is the last word there, the reverence you have a turning to worship. And that turning to worship means you see Jesus seeing you. You see Jesus as Jesus sees people. And in Christ's light, we begin to see ourselves as Christ sees us. In Christ's light, 
we begin to see others in a whole new light. The truest thing about you is what God sees and says about you. What you see and say about other people is what we'll learn as we go through the next uh, several weeks as we hear what God does in the human heart. Buckle your seatbelts. In two weeks, or next week, we'll look at this process of what it means to venture into a human heart with the good news. So get ready. Uh, This is going to be a fruitful year. As you spend time spend time growing, think about the words that you use. Call Christ your friend. Call Christ your lover. Call Christ your Lord. Because the words you use shape the relationships that you have. Let's pray. Lord, you are a peacemaker. You are a miracle worker. I love that song. You are everything and more. And so, Lord, as you give us the words of life, as your spirit helps us, as you venture into our hearts, give us the freedom that we would understand the grace, understand the gospel, understand salvation in such a way that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. Lord, we do worship you. We know that you have done for us on the cross what no man, no one has ever done. And therefore, you are worthy of everything. Lord, give us more light that we might be people of the light and walk in the truth, that we would reflect your Shekinah glory and have that compassion for people that you did. So Lord, take this church. Again, bless us, protect us. And as we grow, you get all the glory. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.